Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 95. I hope everybody's having a great week out there. I hope you have adjusted to the new normal of everybody being at home all the time. Things are going well over here at the Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. Uh, We are getting a lot of great interviews done as everybody is home from the road and, uh, you know, doing their social distancing thing. So we're pretty excited about that for the show. We have a fantastic episode for you today. I'm going to be joined by Stephen Taylor, uh, owner and founder of Stephen's Drum Shed, one of the preeminent online drum schools anywhere in these United States of America. A special shout out and thanks to our longtime listener, Alex Kemp, for making the recommendation to reach out to Stephen. So please stick around after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we're going to be joined by the great Stephen Taylor here in just a moment. Uh, Stephen, again, founded and runs Stephen's Drum Shed uh, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. One of the great online educators that we have out there. Uh, And as he says in this interview, he does not consider it, um, you know, online lessons. He considers it an online drum lesson 
school. Um, and his approach is pretty unique. And we talk about that, but we talk about his background as well. Um, you're going to know him probably uh, quickest from his great YouTube content. Um, I caught Stephen doing a uh, John Bonham lesson, you know, basically saying, here are the grooves and fills of John Bonham. And of course, I had to watch to see if it was, you know, somebody that could actually pull that stuff off or if it was going to be a train wreck. And I'm happy to report Stephen pulls off Bonham quite well. He's a great player, great guy. I know you're going to enjoy this interview. So help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Stephen Taylor. Hey, good afternoon, Stephen. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. How are you? Man, I'm doing good, you know, enjoying the uh, the quarantine. Uh, I've already messed up the <laughs> show for, for evergreen content. You know, I I jokingly said in my last episode, uh, you know, 20 years from now, somebody's going to listen to this and go, what's he talking about a toilet paper shortage? <laughs> <laughs> I think it I think it adds character. So. It, it, it definitely does. So first and foremost, are you guys doing OK uh, down Nashville way? I know you guys had the double whammy. You had a tornado a couple of weeks ago and now we have a global pandemic. Is everybody doing all right? Yeah, we're doing good. The, the tornadoes hit north of where we are. And so, um, you know, all clear there. And then, you know, really it, the whole pandemic thing hasn't really affected us too much. My wife homeschools the kids and, um, I run my own business and my team right now all works remote. We're in the, I'm in the middle of, I just purchased a, uh, a building for the studio. Um, so we're in the middle of remodeling that. So that'll change later this year, but right now, you know, it's pretty much my normal day is, is what they're asking everybody else to do. <laughs> right. So. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, you, you your business is kind of modeled so that it's, uh, you know, pretty much outside proof, I would think, you know, I mean, it's the, the virtual delivery certainly helps, you know. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I was, I actually just got off a live Q and a with my, uh, with my students. So cool. Had a good time with that. Yeah, for sure. Well, so as is the tr tradition here on the drum shuffle, we, we typically, you know, kind of go back to the beginning and, and we want our listeners to get a, a good feel of, uh, you know, I, I think some folks are certainly going to be familiar with Stephen's drum shed and, and the YouTube videos and all the online lessons that you do. But walk us through, you know, growing up and, and how you got into drumming to begin with, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely never would have imagined I would be, um, you know, recording videos, making drum <laughs> lessons, doing a, you know, doing a podcast. We started one last year, the drum show. Uh, and you know, I, d I definitely did not think that was going to be, you know, where my career wound up. Right. Uh, so I, I started playing later than, than later than most kids, I would think. Um, and I, I, I didn't start till I was about 14. Um, and I started in, I was homeschooled growing up. My dad was a pastor in South Mississippi. My mom was a minister of music. And so they were both musical. And I, I grew up listening to my mom. Uh, she would play through the set essentially for the next morning on Saturday nights. And we, I remember begging her like, mom, just, you know, sit down and play the piano and play through. And she, she wasn't the world's best pianist, but she could stumble through it. She's a great singer. And, uh, so she would, stumble through. And I, I remember going to bed on, on Saturday nights, listening to all of the clams and all the stops and the starts and just that, <laughs> that whole rehearsing yeah. what was to come the next day. Um, 
And so uh, I, she, I, we were homeschooled back before it was a cooler thing to do. It was, <laughs> it was very weird to do it when I was growing up. And, um, and so I didn't start until I was about 14. I got into public school in eighth grade, and they put me in remedial band. So I had to go back to sixth grade band. So I was the cool big guy with a mullet. <laughs> I, I will I will say I had a mullet. So I was the fat kid with a mullet in the back of the band hall. Nice. Sixth graders. Yeah. So um, <laughs> not a great start, but uh, I, I started uh, taking some private lessons. I got a drum set and that was really kind of what kicked it off for me. Um, and I got that when I was right around um, age 14, late 14. And I got my first paying gigs when I was 15. Uh, the first, the first, uh, I, I got my kit within the first week or two, the minister of music at my church came up and he said, Hey, your mom tells me you play the drums. And I said, well, my mom is wrong. I have a drum set. I don't, <laughs> I don't play the drums yet. And, uh, he said, well, I need you this weekend. And I said, I don't, I don't think you know what you're asking right now. I, I think you need anything but me. And sure enough, uh, I, I played three times that weekend at a, at a breakfast and at a couple of services, a youth service. And, and he wound up up being uh, a second father figure to me he wound up being my my musical mentor i unbeknownst to me he uh was very well known in the area he conducted stage shows and he wrote for the mississippi symphony orchestra and um he was he was a very accomplished musician uh pianist and um uh writer and so um he got me with my first drum teacher, Henrique uh, de Almeida, who uh, was at Berkeley College of Music. Oh, yeah, is, sure. Yeah, that's, yeah, man, that's a great teacher to start out with. Yep, he, he, he got me in with him at age 14, and I walked in, and Henrique said, uh, I don't take high schoolers. <laughs> he said, I only teach college and above, uh, but I took you because Joseph Britton said that I needed to, and he, at that time, Joseph was uh, was giving him some gigs and whatnot. He said, so, you know, if you don't practice, you're out. And, uh, and so I you were the, thinking as a, you were the favor that got called in, right? Oh yeah, exactly. I was that kid. I just remember thinking, Oh my gosh, you know, I got to, this guy's going to kick me in. And so I just remember just practicing every week and I wound up, you know, he's, he told me, he said, you know, none of my students practice. He said, but you come in and you, you know, you, you know, more than the, the college students, you know, you're practicing more. So, um, but it, by age 15, uh, that drum teacher was actually handing off some gigs to me. And so I started uh, with my very first stage. Uh, I played a Christmas stage show and I got paid $50, which you might as well have said, you know, hey, you're getting paid $8,000 to play the stage <laughs> show because in my mind, I was, you know, uh, they didn't even tell me I was getting paid uh, until the end of it. And it was actually that same mentor who was running the band for it. So I was playing percussion and uh, I actually, I joke with people. Uh, my wife, that was the first time she ever saw me. Um, so oh, I was, I oh, was, so it, yeah. I mean, the, the story is complete, right? I mean, that's yeah, awesome. Exactly. So I, I kind of joke with people that I found my, my wife and my career in the same night. Um, there was a part of the show. I mean, I have to set the stage here, right? There's this part of the show I'm playing. I'm 15 years old. I'm playing, you know, I'm all black and cause I'm in the pit and I'm playing percussion. I have no clue what I'm doing. You know, it's, it's obviously <laughs> a big favor from everyone. And so he says, well, I need you to play. We were playing this Harry Connick uh, junior song from his first Christmas album, Santa Claus, Santa Claus, Santa Claus, must have been old Santa Claus. It was, you know, kind of a second line type of version. Well, at, at some point, uh, I, I stood up and I had to play the jingle bells. Uh, but there was also a part about Rudolph. And so they thought it would be funny if I had reindeer antlers on and also a, a Rudolph nose. And they thought it would be funny if at that point, the kid in the percussion, you know, 
in the back would stand up and dance with the reindeer antlers and the, and the, and the Rudolph nose. And so I was like, you know, I mean, I don't know, I guess this is what musicians do. I don't know, you know? And so, uh, I, I was thinking, I don't, this isn't very cool guys. I don't think my, you know, and so I did that. And funny enough, that was the first time my wife ever saw me. Wow. So, uh, that's, yeah. I mean, nowhere to, nowhere to go but up from there you know what i mean yeah. come on <laughs> i mean but th- that is such a great story that is, that's so awesome but you know it sounds like your first gig was a lot like everybody's first gig you you do something invariably that's super embarrassing right i mean oh yeah oh yeah so, you, you have to i think it's i think it's a prerequisite so i i started getting you know paid gigs at 15 and then shortly after there i i did little shop of horrors uh and then uh, another stage show. And then I just started getting hired regularly. I was playing with the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra with all their pops gigs. Uh, again, this mentor just kind of taking me into all of these experiences as I was going. And so, uh, so yeah, by, by the time I was 18, I, I wanted to, I wanted to pursue music. So I got into uh, jazz studies under uh, at University of Southern Mississippi under Dr. John Wooten. And um, funny enough, he, he and I joke about it. I went in for my audition. You have to audition to place in the, in the, in, in his uh, school. And so I went in for my audition. I did okay on my drum set because I've been playing out. You know, my rudiments were not good. Um, and then he said, well, can you step over? There was a there was a marimba. And he said, can you step over there and, and play what's on that page? And I thought, well, this should be good. You because know, um, <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I don't play marimba. So I stepped over there and, and I thought, well, what the heck? Maybe I'll get it right. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get this one note that he wants me to play right. And it was just a whole note. And, um, so I picked up the mouth and I thought, okay. And so I hit a note and he said, thank you. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. And, uh, and he, and he spent a little time trying to, you know, he told me, I don't think that music is for you. You're way behind, you know, you're going to have trouble catching up. And, um, he didn't know at the time, but that was actually the best thing he could have said to me. Uh, cause I left there very adamant that I was going to prove him wrong. And he's a, he's a friend of mine today. I, I love Dr. Wooten to death. Um, and, um, have the most respect for him. But, um, you know, I, I, I spent the rest of my college career with a chip on my shoulder feeling like I had, I needed to prove something to someone. Yeah. And that was, that's really the best way I learned is to kind of get punched in the mouth and taste blood and go, Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a fight. I get it. So, um, yeah, I was in, I was in college three, three semesters and my teacher at the time, Jeff Mills had gotten a gig in New Orleans on Bourbon street from, uh, he took the place of Raymond Weber Raymond Weber was the drummer for Harry Connick Jr. on his funk albums. So Star Turtle and she, Raymond Weber is on those albums. And um, he's just kind of a New Orleans giant. Um, and um, so he was leaving to go do some other work and they were replacing the drummer. And my drum teacher got that gig. And he was down there about six months. And I remember being so jealous whenever he went down there. I was like, man, you know, like, I want to do that. You know, I want to I you know, go down there and play. And I remember taking my dad to the airport and like, as a teenager thinking, you know, and I remember telling him in the car, like, Hey dad, I could do this. I could live here and I could play music. Like that would be, you know, I think I could do that. And so six months later, I got a, I got an email from Jeff Mills. And, uh, that was the time when you still had to like, you know, use dial up. It seems like so long ago. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it was not that and, long uh, ago. <laughs> so I remember jumping on my email and, uh, and I checked it and he said, Hey, they're starting an afternoon band. Um, I think you can do it. If you, if you, if you get it and you nail the audition, once you're done with this gig, you'll be able to play with the big dogs. That was kind of what I remember reading. And I thought, oh man, yeah, I want to do that. So, uh, he got me an audition and 
uh, I had been referred into him from Henrique when Henrique moved and, um, just kind of following that line of, of how that happened. And I went down there and I remember waiting for five or six hours. They were testing on a new sound system in the club at John Wainer's famous door on the corner of Kansai and Bourbon. And, um, and I, I remember sitting there and, and I was so nervous when I went in, but by the time it was over, I was just ready to play cause I was so tired, you know, <laughs> I was so yeah. I was like, just come on, let me get up there and play. And, um, and so, uh, I had to audition on like brick house. Uh, I, I auditioned on it. What's the other song Saturday in the park, um, the Lionel Richie song all night long. You know, I played those for my audition Yeah, and it was a dance, it was a dance club and I wound up getting the, the gig. I think Jeff talked them into it. They called me up immediately to the office and he said, Hey, you got the gig, you know, five fifty a week plus tips. And I thought, you know, you could have said, Hey Steven, you know, they're going to pay you $8 million. Right. And I'd have been like, that was the same for me just to be 19 years old, being able to be a full-time musician. And so, yeah, I did what every parent is scared their kid is going to do. And I came home and told my parents <laughs> I was going to quit school and <laughs> I was going to go play at a bar. And, well, uh, and I'm sure that that probably didn't go over real well, given that your dad is is a minister. And, and you know, look, I grew up in a deeply, deeply religious family. And, you know, my grandfather was a Baptist preacher and it, it was frowned upon when I started letting my hair grow and buying drumsticks. Yeah. I'll just say that. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because I remember I was nervous about that. My dad was always a pretty cool guy. And I um. I went, I, we went to the local Mexican place cause I wanted to tell him. And so I kind of, you know, let my dad pay for my lunch while I told him about, you know, quitting <laughs> school and being in a band. And, um, and I, I said, now, do you have, you know, do you have any problems with this? Like, is this, I don't want this to look bad on you. I don't want it to. And I remember he, he said, uh, he said, well, as long as I don't turn on the TV and see you dancing naked on a bar, I guess I'm okay with it. And I thought, well, if that's the, if that's the, you know, the bar. Yeah. I think I can stay above that one, dad. Yeah. I, so, I can uh, do this. Uh, yeah. So I moved to new Orleans and I, I played the street, what we call the street there on Bourbon street for, um, as a house drummer at the famous door. And then later the house drummer at BBC, a couple blocks down Bourbon street blues company. And, um, played there for two and a half years. And then I, um, you know, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a part of the music business that a lot of people don't, you know, look at or don't know about or don't, you know, and that is there's, you know, can be uh, a lot of habits that come with people. There can be a lot of drugs. There can be a lot of yeah. um, uh, problems within that. And, and I had, you know, for years played with these guys that I loved and, you know, I would, I would, you know, their wife would bring their kids to my house and I would, you know, Kelly and I would keep their kids cause I got married when I was 21 and um, we would keep their kids while they went and looked for my guitar player and they would find him, you know, cracked out behind a, um, behind a grocery store, or we would have to go drag our, you know, keyboard player, um, out of his, you know, uh, or not hotel out of his apartment. Cause he had been, you know, strung out on heroin and we had to play the game. Like, you know, these are things, you know, yeah, it's real player on, on, on cocaine. You know, these are things that out, you know, alcohol, huge problem for a lot of them. And so, and I'm not painting a, a bad picture. I just kind of was stepping back and going, okay, do I want to be 55 and, yeah. and still be doing this? Because the money's good enough that I could stay here and, and make a living. Um, but I just, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to get older with a crack habit. And, you know, um, I, that just wasn't 
I wanted to see if there was something else that I could do um, besides that. I knew that was always an option, you know, if I wanted to do that. And I, and I'm by no means knocking that. It's just, you know, Bourbon Street is every bar gig you've ever played, except, you know, on acid. It's just <laughs> taken up a notch. And so, um, and that's a good way to put that, it. I, that's yeah, so, a great way to put it. So I got a degree or I got a scholarship to go back to school. And I went back and finished up my jazz studies degree at, at um, University of Southern Mississippi. So that was, uh, and I continued to play in the tri-state area there with, uh, in Alabama, Mississippi, and, and New Orleans until I graduated and moved up to Nashville. Yeah, for sure. Well, so if you were playing in that area, um, you know, the, the I remember years ago, this would have probably been late 90s, early aughts, I don't know, but that big, huge bar that's, you know, right there, Alabama, Florida line, what's it called? Um, oh, I know which one you're talking about. It, uh, it's like nine bars in one, you know. And yeah, it's massive. Yeah, it, I just remember playing shows there and thinking, gosh, if I could just play here all the time, because they paid crazy good, you know, I mean, yeah, you, you could yeah. go in there and do a weekend and get like four grand or something for the band. I mean, it was, oh, for sure, you know, insane. But so you, you were doing gigs like that, you know, as you were going through school, I'm assuming that's what that meant. Yeah, I was playing casinos on the coast. I was playing, uh, uh, Oh gosh, any you know, I was playing with Mobile Symphony Orchestra some. I was kind of the go-to uh, kit player, drum set player for a lot of the local orchestras when they did pop stuff because I would follow the conductor. I had been kind of brought up <laughs> under that since I was sixteen. So, you know, conductors are real quick, man. They're a funny breed because you know they have control of the orchestra until a drummer, drum set player comes in. <laughs> yeah, and you know the the first chair walked up to me on one of my first ones. She said, "You know, we're not watching him." We're, we're listening to you. And I was like, I mean, I know that, but I wanted to think you're watching him. Right. So we got to make, so I got really good at following, you know, his, their conducting. And, and it was always funny to be with a new conductor because they kind of wanted to, to make sure I knew who was big dog. So they would drag <laughs> and rush and, you know, and I would just kind of, I would flow with them. I got to where I could just kind of go fluid with, if they were speeding up, we'd speed up if they were slowing down, you know? Yeah. And, um, that kind of kind of kept me from being or, or kept me in their good graces but yeah just gigging around that area some on uh some on bourbon street still a lot of party bands at one point i was in nine different groups just wow. you know playing around everything from small group jazz to early jazz to big band to uh indie rock to uh you know uh, just bar rock type stuff uh just any gig i i would take it i loved it yeah. Well, so at what point, you know, and I, I don't want to gloss anything over here, but, you know, I know that you um, at, at some point after your schooling, you were playing with, you know, a, a fairly successful group. And, and I want to get the name right because um, I, I, lovers and liars. Is that right? Yeah. So so I moved to Nashville. Um, by the time I got to Nashville, I was, you know, 25. And so I had 10 years of gigging under my belt just had thousands and thousands of hours of stage time. And that's unusual. Yeah. Um, I came to learn later. You know, I had a, almost a, my early career was almost as much as some people's full career as far as, as with the amount of gigs that I got to play. Um, and so when I moved here, I was very ready to, to take on kind of that next level or whatever that is. Yeah. And so I started playing. I, I fell in with some session players, some old time session players. And um, uh, they started kind of showing me the ropes gave me some sessions. I went out with, with a couple of, 
of labeled artists, so like Danielle Peck, um, who is a country artist on Big Machine Records. She did Here's the, Here's to Finding a Good Man, I think was one of her songs. And, um, and a couple of others that I went out with. Um, and I started, it was, you know, one month it would be just amazing. And then the next month it would be, you know, not that much work. And I was still working a part-time job. And, and um, I just came home after one particularly bad gig because I had to take it. And we played at this bowling alley slash bar that also had batting cages attached to it. It was just the oddest <laughs> you know, thing. And I had to take it. I was making, you know, like not even, I don't think I was making 50 bucks. I mean, literally it was nothing. I just needed to feed my family. And the band had a bunch of subs. The band wasn't great anyway. I didn't love playing with them, but I needed the money. The sound guy showed up and his mom, I think his mom had just passed. It was just like the perfect storm. He's over in the corner crying while he's setting up in this bar beside the batting cages with the bowling alleys attached. And, um, we start playing and it was so bad. I had to unplug my monitor. Oh man. It was, it was, it was was that bad. I mean, the the singer was that off and, and I I kept sitting there and I thought, I I don't know how long they're going to let this go on. (laughs) You know, like how long (laughs) is the club going to let this train wreck happen? Um, which is horrible when, when you've played for that long and you've gone to school and, like you're a legit musician and you're put in this situation where you just need, you need to make some money. I remember going and setting on the steps of the batting cages <laughs> outside the bar. And I, I remember just sitting there thinking, uh, you know, surely they're not going to have, and, and sure enough, the band leader came out and he said, Hey, they, they paid us um, part of what they owed us and they want us to stop. And I thought this, this is great. They paid us to quit. Yeah, That's the, amazing. The mercy killing. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. And, and I drove home and I just, I came in, I told my wife, I said, I, I think that I need to get a nine to five, something with benefits. I'm just tired. Um, and I just needed to revamp. And so she said, well, are you ever going to get back into it? And that was, I mean, I just bought my first computer. I, I, you know, I was poor. I didn't have a lot of money going through college. I paid for everything. I paid for my co- you know, we paid for my college on a cash. Um, you know, I was, I was, I moved out of my house when I was uh, the, almost the day after I graduated, I moved out. You know, I've been self-sufficient working full-time since I was 16, 15, excuse me, this summer when I turned 15. So I've always worked hard um, and been on my own pretty much. So um, so to take some pressure off my playing, I got my personal trainer's license. And okay. she had asked me, so she said, are you ever going to get back into it? And I said, well, maybe, but it'll be on my terms. And I'll say how much I get paid and I'll say when I work and who I work with and how I work. And, um, so I did personal training for about six years. During that time, the band you're referencing, uh, I was auditioning bands on Craigslist. <laughs> this is a funny story. Um, and I, you know, the bands thought they were auditioning me, and I was actually auditioning the band. Um, and I had, you know, a sequence. I would have them send me their music. If I liked it, we would go to the next step, which would be just meet at a coffee shop. And if I liked them, um, then we could go to the audition. And there were several auditions that I said no to. Um, for for it was it would be a touring act, and I just didn't like the vibe. Um, there were several that never made it past the, the coffee shop interview and, um, lovers and liars, they sent me their music and I, and I loved it so much that I said, no, it's just, you know, let's, let's do this. So I went in and, uh, did the audition. They loved me. I, I loved the music. I had a couple of questions about lyrical content, um, and whether it was something I wanted to stick my name on. So I just asked them, I said, is this the direction you're writing in? Because their previous band, um, had done like the soundtrack for, for a porn film. Like I had legitimate concerns as to like, <laughs> which direction are we going in fellas? Like, is this, is it the direction with, 
a lot of naked people in the room on our soundtrack or is it the direction of probably not that so much? Um, so I just asked them and, you know, it was over a couple of different words and uh, curse words in the music. And, and they said, you know, we don't want to be limited creatively. And I said, well, you know, if we're limited by six or seven words, there may not be much here anyway. So uh, I, I said, I said no to them. And a year later, the bass player responded to that email where I said no. And I was like, what was the response to what is this email? <laughs> and uh, they had, they had wound up uh, going to showcase for, I think it was Island records. I forget who. Um, and they, the feedback they gave them was get a new drummer. Oh, wow. And okay. So they reached out to me and they said, you know, can you come rehearse for us? We have this show in a couple of weeks. I said, no, I can't come do all those rehearsals because I'm going on a cruise with my wife. I said, but I, I get back the day before and I said, so I can come over to your place and I'll, I'll have the set learned. We'll go through it a couple of times and we'll play the show the next day. And they said, well, we're not real comfortable with that. And I said, okay, well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's how I'm going to do it. I promise you I can pull this gig off. So that's what we did. You know, I learned their set. I got their tracks. I, you know, uh, ran, ran the show and, um, we played that. And from there we, we played together while I was still personal training. That was kind of my, my having my foot still in music and the shows were fun, but then it, you know, started getting some steam. We wound up getting signed to universal, uh, records. We were signed to universal Republic records. Universal records has several wings yeah. and yeah, universal yeah. Republic is their, quote edgier um side so uh it was a piano driven rock band and a lot of fun we got we got dropped a year after that yeah and, uh, yeah having nothing to do with the music it was all about a dispute with the manager uh two of us two of us did not want to fire him and two of two of us did want to fire him so uh the people uh the two that wanted to fire him had one of them had majority say because we had four members and so um i was not a big thought that we should fire our manager. And, um, so sure enough, they, they fired him and we got dropped shortly thereafter. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I took that money. I took a buyout from the band. Our, our lawyer really thought he could get assigned again. I believe he could have, I really believed in the music that much. Um, but I just kind of looked at it. I'm like, you know what? I'm like I'm 29 and I got two kids and on the weekends I go out in a van with these guys and we play <laughs> rock shows and it really doesn't make much money for us right now. You know, I'm just kind of like looking at this as like, is this really heading in the direction that I want to go? And do I want to be away from my family that much? That was another yeah. thing that was, that was very much in, in the space. My dad traveled a lot when I was a kid. And so a lot of, nobody told, nobody tells you those things. Right. That they don't tell you that it's not going to be consistent pay all the time, that the gigs won't always be what you love. And um, you're going to be on the road a lot. And is that, is, does that work for you? So for me, if I get to the end of my life and I have this great career where I've played in front of, you know, all these, these people in these great venues and I've played great venues and I played the crowds of 20,000. Like I, you know, I did, I did those. And, um, is that, is that enough if I don't have my family at the end of that, you know, um, if I, if I lose my wife in the midst of that and a lot of the guys I knew, uh, that was the sacrifices they made was yeah. their home life was wrecked. So, um, anyway, that was, I took a buyout from the band. It wasn't much money, but it was enough to turn around and, uh, buy a laptop and buy, um, uh, a camera, uh, that I could live stream with. And in 2011, that's when I started my online drum school. I had started posting to YouTube a couple years before that. 
Um, and that's when I took it uh, and started to try to attempt to make a business out of it. Yeah. Well, so here, here's my question. And, and you know, I, I think this will be um, interesting to a lot of our listeners when, you, you know, we've had you know, Mike Johnston on the show, who is another one of the, you know, great online drumming educators in America. Um, when you do that, you, you have to really stick your neck out and say, I'm going to commit to this. But, you know, in 2011, suffice it to say, I, I'm guessing you probably didn't know if you could actually make money doing that. I, I'm sure you you thought, yeah, I have a chance, but that's a pretty big risk. I mean, talk me through, you know, that yeah. decision making process. So I'm all about, um, taking calculated risks in my life. And I'm never, I never take a risk that that is going to, as they say, burn the boat. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to make one decision that if that decision goes wrong, the whole ship sinks. Right. And so what I would call a fatal error, I try to avoid those. And so whenever I make, you know, take risks, they're very calculated risks. So at the time I was working as a personal trainer and I was making enough to provide for my family. Um, and for me, it really wasn't as much of a risk as it was something that I could do in my off hours with personal training. When you're personal training, you train in the morning, you train in the evenings. And a lot of times you have time to fill within the day. So I didn't like having unproductive time in the day. So for me, it was like, well, I think I could make this work. And so I, I kind of listed out how much I would need to make to be able to cover my live streaming costs because it was much more expensive back then. And, and I had a number, I think it was like 27 students I had to get at the rate that I was, that I was charging at that time. And it took me three months to get to that point. So for three months, I kind of floated everything. And after three months, I was making enough to cover costs. And from there, it was just a slow build from October of 2011. Yeah. Um, so for me, it didn't look as, as big of a risk. You know, it didn't, it didn't look as much of a risk as I guess from the outside it could have looked. It was more of a calculated thing of like, I think I can make this work. Let me test the waters before. What, what everybody does is they, they quit their, their steady. And then they, they try to go off on this, you know, creative tangent yeah. and then it doesn't work out. And because they don't have the four walls taken care of food, transportation, you know, clothing, shelter, um, because they don't have those taken care of their art or their passion is now put on hold because they have to feed everybody or they have to put, you know, roof over everybody's head. And so, um, I, I had no problem working both. I enjoyed fitness. I still enjoy fitness. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, until 2000, the middle of 2015 is when I took this full time. I got um, you. I could have taken it full time before then, but um, again, I'm not one that burns boats too quickly. So yeah. I hung in much longer than I should have with personal training, I think. Well, and you said the key word in there, Stephen, you know, and that was passion, right? So, I mean, I, I commend you, you know, uh, and this is a really open and, and honest conversation, which is awesome. It's great. A lot of people, you know, they, they want to be a musician. You know, you, you alluded to, you know, substance abuse issues that, that happen in, in the music industry and the gigs aren't always steady. The pay isn't always steady. Um, you know, and I've experienced all those things in, in my career as well, but I will never let go of drumming 
as a passion. It's for sure. Yeah. You, you know, I, I just think so many people think, you know, they, they heard that the old adage of if you find something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. So sometimes people try to force drumming or, or, you know, art, whatever the case may be, they try to force that to be their living. And sometimes you, you just can't make it work. And, you know, I, I yeah, think, you know, I think you're bringing I, up some very good points there. And I don't want to, you know, that's the thing. I don't ever want people to think I give, I paint the music industry with a, with a, with a black paintbrush. Um, I definitely don't. I love music. I mean, it's the only reason you go through as much as you do to be a musician. I love music. I love creating. Uh, I, you know, I believe deeply that I'm a creative and that the team that I get to work with, we're a team of creatives and we try to exercise that in everything, not just with, you know, drumming. Um, but I also am a realist. So I also look at things for like, okay, well, I am playing the drums, but you know, I have several criteria that I judge life by and it's not just, am I doing what I want to do with my career. It's also, you know, do I have the type of family life that I want? It's also, am I, am I financially stable enough? You know, can I provide for my family? It's also, do I have, you know, where is my, uh, you know, uh, where is my, uh, faith at with all of this? Like there's several things that I like to look at to kind of collectively move my life forward instead of just like, okay, I'm a musician, you know, achieved did it. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, if we, if we do that, then you wind up and you're, and you're at the end of your career and you can't get off the road because you're touring all the time yeah. and you're three wives in and, and there's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like if that's your road and that's, that's the road you chose and that's the one you want to do. Um, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I just look at things a lot more holistically and having met my wife at such an early age, uh, definitely the one thing I don't want to lose is her and the kids. So everything kind of revolves around my faith my family, and then we'll build the blocks around there about how I can make all this work with my passion too. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a wonderful approach. I mean, you know, I mean, I joke around all the time and say, look, music is a great career until you pick up, you know, a mortgage and a couple of car payments, then, oh, yeah. you know, it, it, and it doesn't matter the age, you know, I joke around all the time about me being old and, and still doing this, you know, trying to do sessions and weekend warrior work and all that stuff. But, you know, when you start picking up responsibilities, jumping into a van to go out for a week and come home with 400 bucks, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem so great at that point, you know, because you have those extra obligations. And, you know, I commend you for, you know, making that decision of, look, I have something to offer here, but being on the road isn't, isn't what I want to do with my family life being what it is. You know, I, yeah. you know I, I tell folks all the time, look, if you're single and you don't have a lot of, you, you know, outflows of cash and responsibilities, man, being in a van with three or four other guys or girls touring the country, playing music, it's great. Oh, there's nothing better. There's nothing, nothing better. better than that. But I would encourage everybody to do that. Absolutely. Point, like I encourage you to do that. But yeah, you know, at some point it's got to be for me anyway, it has to be a little bit, you know, longer term and. And I have to be able to look back and, you know, if I am going to tour on that, if I am going to miss all of, all of the, you know, basketball games and all the family dinners, and I'm going to miss all that time with those people, 
you know, what am I going to have to show for that? So what's the body of work, you know, that I'm going to be able to turn around and say, well, I did miss that, but look at all of this that was accomplished. And I just didn't see that with being a hired gun. I didn't see that body of work, me being able to turn around and go, yeah, I mean, I know I missed every basketball game, but, you know, check this out. I, yeah. you know, I was on the road with these eight artists and did live shows. And I don't know. It just, like I said, everybody has their own journey. And I think that I, I highly respect anyone that is making a living, uh, even partially in the music industry. And I highly respect their decisions for doing what they do. And I think that they should do it that way if that's how they feel, you know, yeah. um, I just have, I have the utmost respect for anyone that, that has the skill to be able to pull this off and make a living out of it. Yeah. And, and to your point, not every gig is, you know, uh, Charlie Watts or Abe Laboreal Jr., you know, playing with Paul McCartney or, or Max playing with Bruce Springsteen. I mean, not, not every gig is that let's face it, you know, I mean, you, so I, I think when you weigh those things out, yeah, I can make a living, but, you know, right now during what's going on in, you know, just current events, you know, the touring industry is essentially shut down. And I'm sure we have friends in common that right now today are looking for landscaping gigs or, you know, Uber Eats gigs or, or whatever the case may be. It's yeah, there's, there's- there's a lot of my friends that, um, it's a very, you know, the entertainment industry can be very volatile. There's a lot of, a lot of guys hurting and ladies hurting right now with, yeah. um, with shows canceled, tours canceled. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a, it's a rough time to be in the entertainment industry. It was the same thing when nine 11 happened. Yeah. Uh, I was playing uh, on bourbon street whenever that happened and we got cut back to 20% of the bar sales. I mean, my pay got cut to a third of what it was. I took on a landscaping job. Um, at that time. So I do very well know what times like this are um, within the entertainment industry, you know, uh, and I've been through that myself. So, yeah. so yeah, but I'm, I'm very fortunate and very happy with, with uh, my life and my business at this point. Well, and, and, you know, your, your content is, you know, incredible. I mean, it's fantastic. And, and, you know, I, we certainly want to talk about that, um, you know, but I don't, I don't want to put too fine a point on this. We're not saying that you don't go out and play gigs anymore because I know you do. So, oh, yeah. uh, you know, so it's not like you swore off ever playing <laughs> lower Broadway no, again or no. whatever, and you know, no, no, I still play those and I still, I still love playing. I've got a couple of original projects that I'm going to be working on. That's one of my goals in the next year or so is to get some original music out there. Um, I really don't care if it makes any money. That doesn't matter to me. I just want to make music. And so I'm now at a place where I can, you know, the business uh, affords me the opportunity to be able to focus on some of my music. And, um, and I, I feel very grateful to be able to do that. You know, I also feel very creative to be able, I, I exercise creativity every day whenever I'm thinking about, you know, a, a video that I may be making or a, a lesson that I'm trying to, uh, to come up with or, or, you know, some, one of my students asked me, you know, what is pocket? You know, and and that was a great creative moment for me to make all these visuals for them to understand what pocket is, what groove is, you know, it's that intangible. So I really just feel that if you're a creative and you're a musician, you can exercise that in anything that you do. And so you shouldn't just limit that to drumming. You should be creative in all of your life. Absolutely. Well, let me tell you how I first stumbled across you as as a Uh-oh. as an educator 
Um, you know, as is the case with a lot of folks, you get on YouTube and you're watching a video and, you know, the little sidebar over to the right, it was like, you know, recommended for you or whatever. And, you know, I saw this guy talking about bottom fills and grooves and I was like, okay, so I, I have to click on every one of them that I see because, you know, I, I think there's two, two ways to approach bottom. You know, I love bottom. Um, you know, I think you either do it really, really well or it's going to be a, a, you know, flaming box of trash usually. Right. There's the, I, there's no middle of the road when somebody right. tries to teach you know, bottom fills and grooves and things like that. So that was my first introduction to you. Um, and it, you know, it was clear that you'd put some thought into it and you weren't just being, a you know, a poser. I, I can't think of a better word on the fly here, sure. but you, you sure. did a really good job with that. And I started watching some of the, the content that you put out on YouTube and you are, um, as an educator, I would say you're one of the guys in terms of video education, that's very easy to follow, you know, um, there are some guys that are teaching in that, that video or virtual format that that I'm just like, I don't know what this guy's trying to say right now. You know, it's not yeah. it, 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 this isn't helping anyone at any level of drumming because it's not clear and concise. And you did a really good job with that. You know, I'm, I mentioned Mike Johnston earlier. He does a great job with that. You know, uh, some of the guys at Drumeo do a good job with that. And, you know, we're not here to talk about your competitors, obviously, but we're all one big family. Talk to me about how you approach the education piece of it. I, I mean, are you coming at it from a, how would I have wanted to learn this uh, aspect or, is it coming from a different place? Um, yeah, no, I totally, um, and thank you by the way. Oh, you're welcome. Um, yeah. And, and I actually, I don't view Jared and I are, are good friends. I don't view, uh, Drumeo or, or Mike as competition per se. I view them as, um, two sides of the same coin and my teaching may resonate with someone, whereas Mike's may resonate with someone the same way you have, you know, a couple of drum teachers in a town and both of them can make a good living. It doesn't mean one or the other is better. They just, they're different deliveries, you know? So I think everybody that is able to, and bring something positive to community, I love to have them in here. Um, so yeah, there was from 2008, there was a long time before I really established what I felt my business model and teaching should look like. And so I was live streaming anywhere from, uh, seven to nine times a week to my students. And I did that for a few years. And so there was a very long period where I was running this business where I was what they call putting in the reps. I'm very big on, you got to put in the time, you got to put in the reps. So I was really spending that time where I I had very minimal viewers watching what I was doing. (laughs) And I was really trying to hone, hone my teaching and um, hone my delivery and go back to the drawing board. I was just reading a YouTube comment. Um, and you know, uh, I take those to heart. I really try to think about them and think if there's constructive criticism in that and all of those things. So when I'm teaching, yeah, I try to deliver it in a clear and concise way with as with as little explanation as I can. Although sometimes that's more than what some people want, um, with a clear demonstration. Um, and I try to, um, 
I try to just have as clear a delivery as I can. The, the further I go into this thing, the last couple of years, I've really gotten into an organized delivery. And so not only just giving them a good drum lesson, but I've got to give them the framework for how they can work through this. And so with Melonline Drum School, it's very much about you pick the topic you want to work on. It's not just a bunch of random drum lessons. Um, if you need to work on hand and foot doubles, then you need to go through the hand and foot doubles lesson track. If you want to work on your groove, you need to go through the basics of groove. If you're a beginner, we have beginner tracks one, two, and three. You need to start there. And so my goal is to very quickly get them up and playing music um, within three lessons. And if we can do that, then I know I can hook them. Parents are always asking me, how do they get their kids to play music? And uh, it's the same way I did it with my kids. And my wife and I had this discussion and she said, hey, are you going to you know, make them learn an instrument. And I said, no, I'm not going to make them learn an instrument. Um, I said, if they want to learn one, I'm in full support. And um, so I went about just exposing them to good music yeah. and I would talk to them about the music and I, you know, what band is this? Oh, who's the guitar player? Who's the drummer? Do you hear what they're doing there? Oh man, this chorus is so big. Listen to it. We turn it up and, you know, we're like, you know, riding down the, the, road in our minivan with, you know, like windows down or sticking their head out, you know, like I'm trying to get them to understand what music is at its core. Yeah. I don't want them to understand how to play a drum beat. I want them to understand the emotional connection you need to have with music. And if I can do that, then you can hook a person for life. People don't understand that music will do the heavy lifting for you. Oh, you don't yeah. have to convince someone to like an instrument. You just have to show them the music. And, yeah. the, and sure enough, I've got a 12 year old that started drums a couple months. I've got a nine year old that started bass a couple months ago. Um, and I didn't have to poke and prod them. It was very much just me exposing them to good music. So when I'm teaching, I'm trying to think on the, in terms of what is the framework I'm teaching to, how can I deliver this in an organized way? Um, and how can I show them the passion and point them back to the source, which is why I do a lot of historic, what I would call historical type lessons, the John Bonhams, the Neil Peart's, the, you know, maybe Dave Grohl, if you're into that, like, that's why I do those breakdowns is because I really want to point back and show them, oh, you like Dave Grohl? Well, you should probably check out Bonham. And if you like Bonham, you should like follow the lineage back um, and teach from that, from that viewpoint. Well, and I think that's very smart. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm going to put a plug in here for my daughter. Um, you know, she's 15. She's a ballet prodigy. Um, she is, she's home right now, but you know, she got accepted to a ballet conservatory, you know, one of the greatest ones in the country and it's great, you know, and I had big dreams of her being, you know, the, the most awesome drummer ever. And she chose ballet, but you know, I, I was, hearing all this music come from her room and I was like oh wow you know she's listening to stuff like the scorpions and rolling stones and not what a 15 year old ballet kid would be listening to most of the time and you know I I, you can ask her you can say what's the greatest record ever recorded and she's likely to say exile on main street man you know and and so that you know that makes you feel like okay I've taught her good music Right. I've taught her what good music sounds like and what it makes you feel like. So I get exactly what you're saying. Um, So Stephen's Drum Shed is, um, you know, I want to make sure we get this across, if nothing else. It is you're you're a subscription based model. Correct. Talk to me about, you know, what levels do you accept and and how does that subscription model work for people that want to work on, on things? 
Sure, we're a subscription-based model. Um, I do like to say we're an online drum school. We're not just online drum lessons. And um, to me, that's a differentiator. And so once you get in, we accept all levels. If you want to you know, learn uh, the mambo, we can go as deep on that as you want. But if you are a beginner and just starting out with your first drum beat, we have the material to start you there. And um, so, yeah, once you get a membership, you get access to the community. You get access to over 75 lesson tracks. That's what we call our courses. And uh, there's an onboarding process that really helps the uh, students self-direct themselves so they can meet the team that's going to be helping them. And then they answer a few questions and they're, they're guided through what material they should work on. Or they're given the opportunity to get a personalized lesson plan directly from me. We have a gold generator that they can fill out, and I'll help them decide on that stuff. And so from there, it, the difference uh, with an online drum school and just drum lessons is that you just jump in and you consume random drum lessons. But that would be online drum lessons. For me, with a drum school, what you're doing is you're committing to these are the two or three things that I want to get better at in the next six to seven, you know, six to 12 months. And to do that, I need to work on this material. And so we decide on that, just like you would start a chorus a semester in a, in a you know, at a college or at a, at a high school, and you're going to work through those subjects. And so when students say, hey, I'm four lessons into this lesson track, but kind of stuck, should I just skip, you know, and, and go to a new one? I'm like, no, you told me to see <laughs> for your goals and you should keep working on this material. So keep working the same. Yep. Keep working that same lesson because you still can't play it. You know, it's that kind of a thing where, uh, where they really decide on, we decide on the goals first and then we find the material that are going to get you there. And then we go through that material, make sure that you're, you're trying to track to those goals that you, you said you wanted to achieve. And so it really doesn't matter what skill level you are. Um, there's lessons for all skill levels. And then I do, you know, live online Q and A's, uh, so that I can answer questions. And those questions, we had questions everywhere today from, uh, you know, hand technique to what is, what is pocket uh, how do I understand that to, you know, how do you play faster, you know, 16th notes, one handed on the hi hat, you know, and talk about everything. Um, and then uh, there's the community forums. There's Tim's tech talk. Tim is a staff teacher. We've got uh, Tim Buell and um, there's community features. We've got a news show. There's all kinds of stuff for to, to interact with. So the, the, the three, the three main components of the membership are obviously the lessons. So it's going to be the school part. But then you also get the campus, you get the community part of it. And then we have, I call it drummertainment. And so you have the entertainment. We have SDS YouTube, we have the podcast, we have Tim's Tech Talk, we have community challenges and, you know, all that stuff. So we try to make it a real well-rounded school experience. Yeah, I mean, it sounds cool. Are there, you know, I think a lot of folks uh, would ask, and, and, you know, this may be just showing my ignorance, but what is the technology hurdle for people to subscribe? I mean, do you, you know, what do you require your students to have to be able to, to get, you know, the, the, the most out of a subscription? Just an internet connection and some device to watch the lessons on. Okay. That's really all you need. You know, everything's there. If you want to print the sheet music, you can, um, all, all the videos are there for you to watch. There's no special, you know, the live streams you can tune in on your mobile device. There's no, uh, you don't need a Skype account or anything like that. Uh, as long as you have a mobile device that has internet um, or a computer that has internet, you can you can get on there and start learning. Cool. The, the, the hurdles very very low. Okay. Well, you know, and, and I've been asked those questions before. Like, you know, do I have to have a 
$400 camera, you know, to film myself playing for, you you know, I mean, we get those questions. So Mm -hmm. for sure. And, and no, you know, I get student reviews from people all the time that they just take their cell phone and turn it around and they're like, Hey, here's what's happening with my right hand. Can you, can you help me out? Um, you know, it's as, it's as informal or as formal as you want it. And I'm as involved or as uninvolved as my students want me to be. Gotcha. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, I want to be respectful of your time. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to do this. Um, you know, pleasure. Oh, absolutely. And, and you're welcome here anytime, Stephen. I mean, that goes without saying, you know, if you have something you want to share with, with our community, you're always welcome. It's an open door. Um, we always ask our guests for a good piece of advice, and I think you may have a pretty unique perspective on this, you know, uh, teaching as many folks as you do um, and, and just your background. What is a, a piece of advice that you would share with other drummers or other musicians as they uh, go about their day to day lives trying to improve, uh, whether in the business or on the instrument? Yeah, you know, um, the advice, uh, uh, you know, a quote, and I forget who they attribute it to. It's it's going to take longer than you thought it would, and it's going to be harder than you thought it was going to be. Um, and I would say that, that that's true for anything. And so once you decide you want to do something, whether that be a business or you want to pursue a career in music or you just want to learn the drums, um, I think you have to make a commitment with yourself. You have to sign this internal contract with yourself that I'm going to show up and I'm going to do the work to make this thing happen. And if I, you know, if I do that, I know that, you know, if I put in the time and, and, and use these resources, um, that I'm going to get there, but you, it really will take longer. You know, I've been working at this, I've been making videos since 2009. Um, and so this is not a flash in the pan thing that happened overnight for me. Um, it's, it's, as far as that, I, I just believe that you really have to set those goals and then plot out a, a road that will get you there and then work the plan. It, it really is that simple and it's that hard. Yeah, that's, man, that's great advice. And, you know, you, you, you alluded to it earlier about, you know, parents ask, how do I get my kids to, to learn an instrument? The, the contract with yourself to put in the work is the hardest thing. And, you know, as a kind of a vintage gear junkie that I am, you know, I, I frequent Craigslist and, you know, search for drums all the time. I think a lot of people do. And there's so many beginners drum sets, you know, barely used, you know, three months old, it's for sale. Um, yep. You know, the, the goal here is to get people involved and not have to sell that kit, right? Stay involved, yep. stay on the instrument, learn it. It is hard, um, but it, the rewards are limitless in, in my opinion anyway. So, um, oh, yeah. And that's, you know, a, a couple of points to that, you know, that I always like to remind students. And that is number one, music, music doesn't make you, you make music. We make music. Music does not make you as a person. So don't attach your self worth to that instrument or the music you're trying to attach to create. Um, learning an instrument, is just not easy. You know, you just lighten up on yourself, you know, yeah. give yourself a break, give the brain the time, uh, that it needs to learn something. Um, and whether you're good or not matters very little. But to me, it does not matter whether a student is good when they come in, 
What matters is that they show up every day, that they go through the process. The process is everything with learning anything, you know. And then, you know, it, it's it's better to remind, especially the younger generation of this, and I'm not that old, I'm, you know, still in my 30s. Uh, but music is not a sport, so let's stop treating it like one. There's no competition here. You don't win a trophy. Uh, it is it is art, and that can come in lots of different shades and forms and, and um, uh, varieties. Yeah, for sure, man. That That's great advice. You know, I mean, I, I get asked after gigs, you know, that, that casual conversation. Somebody says, oh, man, you know, I really enjoyed this tonight. You know, I always wanted to be a drummer. I just don't have the coordination. You know, I mean, I hear that constantly. And my response is invariably, when you were born, you didn't have the coordination to walk. You certainly didn't have the coordination to run. You can teach your body the coordination, right? And And the independence, you can teach that. But people that say, man, I always wanted to learn, what's stopping you? Go go pick yeah. up a practice pad, stick control, and a pair of drumsticks. Knock yourself out. You know, it's like yeah. just do it, man. So, um, Stephen, give us the the web address and any of your socials that you'd like people to follow if they're if they have questions or looking for you. Sure, you can um, you can uh, find the website at Stephen's Drum Shed. Dot com. It's a Stephen with a PH. You can find me on Instagram, uh, Stephen's Drum Shed. You can uh, follow the podcast that I have called The Drum Show, where I just answer questions. I answer student questions. Um, and um, that's what the whole show is about. It is literally just about answering their questions. Um, obviously, you know, you can find me on YouTube as well. Just search Stephen Taylor and I'll, I'll pop up there. Um, or you can always email, if you ever have questions, email help at stevensdrumshed.com. And I answer, I still answer all of my email, even though that takes a, a lot longer than I would like it to these days. Um, I'm still, I'm still very engaged with, uh, trying to, to spread the drum, the drum love. Well, I can attest to the fact that you do indeed answer all of the emails at help at stevensdrumshed.com because that's how <laughs> we set this up. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, Stephen, I really appreciate the time. Again, you're welcome here anytime. We'll make sure we link the show up to, uh, to the drum shed. So if people have questions, uh, I'm sure they'll be reaching out. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll talk to you real soon, man. All right. See ya. Bye. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 95 of the Drum Shuffle. Thank you guys so much for tuning in week in and week out. We simply cannot do this show without each and every one of you doing so each and every week. I ask every single week, I'm going to ask again, give us a thumbs up, a star rating, a review on whatever platform you use to listen in to the podcast. Uh, Also, uh, hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen. That helps us more than you'll ever know, and we truly do appreciate it. Hey, many thanks to Steven Taylor for taking some time out of his busy schedule to come on the Drum Shuffle. Uh, Next week, we're going to be joined by our old friend, Mark Poise. Uh, Mark has some pretty exciting news to share, uh, some stuff that he's been working on in his downtime from the road with Tyler Farr, so you're not going to want to miss that. 
Hey, we do answer every single email that we get here at the Drum Shuffle Podcast. Uh, it's the Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com. You can write us an email and suggest a guest like our friend Alex Kemp did. He suggested Stephen Taylor. And we just had Stephen Taylor on the show. So keep those emails coming. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. And you can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. Click on all those social media links and follow us in those places as well. Guys, I hope everybody's doing great out there with this whole, you know, lockdown social distancing thing. Please let us know if there's something we can do to help you. Until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. 